It's just gone five o'clock, and after a Christmas break, like all good football in Europe, Planet Football is back with me, John Bradley, and with Statman John. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you at home, even though I know it's practically the middle of January now. But this is the return of Planet Football on 105.9 City Talk. Hope you all had a great Christmas, a good New Year as well. But let's start talking football again, because football, as we know, has been going on over here in the UK. But over in Europe and around the rest of the world, everyone's been sat with their feet up, eating turkey and drinking lots, haven't they, Johnny Boy? They certainly have. So what do we know, pal? Um, Basically... It's um, business as usual. Messi has been uh, back scoring goals. He's now scored 20 goals since the birth of his son, <laughs> Thiago, right. at a rate of one every 64 Thiago. minutes. Thiago. That'll be him. Okay. One every 64 minutes. One every 64 minutes. I know he scored again uh, over the weekend. We'll talk uh, in daily into Europe about Lionel Messi in a minute. What else do we know, my friend? Well, his win in the Ballon d'Or now means the score is Barca 10.5, Real Madrid 5.5. Wow, was it shared? It was. Who between? Figo. And? Figo. Well, he played half a season for Real Madrid and half a season for Correct. Barcelona. Or half a year, as it would be, wouldn't yes. it? Yes. That's absolutely brilliant, that style. I love that. I didn't actually know that. That's actually very, very good. So, ten and a half, five and a half. Yes. So, who were the most uh, notable winners there for Real Madrid? Uh, for Real Madrid, De Stefano. Yeah. 57-59. Yeah. Um, now you're counting up, aren't you? You're reading all the winners, are Ronaldo, the original one. Yeah, real Ronaldo. Real Ronaldo. Or, or, and, or some people call him Fat Ronaldo. Uh, yeah, but he's on a diet now. I've heard he's going to be a student in London. He's going to work for an advertising agency, Martin Sorrell's advertising agency in London. Someone said he was going to be a student. No, no. he's going in there to be a student. He's okay. going in there to learn. Is he an intern, is he? He's an intern. <laughs> I was the best player in the world, but now I'm going to work in advertising. Mm. And Cannavaro, 2006. To be fair, you'd love to have a night out with Ronaldo, wouldn't you? The I'm sure you just will. imagine, just imagine the stories. I don't know how much English he speaks, but, you know, just imagine the stuff he could talk about, you know, the things he used to do on a football field, but more interestingly, the parties that he used to have at his house when he was a Real Madrid player. And then there's always what happened in that World Cup final. Oh, that's boring. Who cares? I'm more interested in the parties he's at, he had at his house. Steve McManaman once said that the parties in his house when he was at Real Madrid with Ronaldo, it's a bit of a shout, isn't it, when you're at Real Madrid? But he said the parties that he used to have in his house, he had never seen anything of the like anywhere in the world. And Steve McManaman is a worldly wise boy. He certainly is. Right, that's very interesting. Are you done for now, my friend? I certainly am. We'll carry on a bit later. Good lad. Welcome back to this man. Daily into Europe. Hello, Robbie boy. All right, gents. How are you, my friend? Very good, thanks. Very good. How are you? I'm, um, I'm ecstatic. Wonderful. Great. <laughs> Everything's wonderful. It's uh, as we were saying, mate. Like all good leagues, we're uh, very refreshed after the winter break. Are you refreshed? I feel so fresh. Right. Let's uh, crack on, because the big leagues in Europe have have resumed uh, after the winter break, Rob. Uh, and I want to start with uh, La Liga. Barcelona, 11 points clear after beating Malaga 3-1 at the Rose Garden at the weekend. Uh, Messi scored again and uh, Thiago scored as well, didn't he? Yeah, nice goal from Thiago actually. Picked up on the edge of the penalty area, played this really neat 1-2 
and then just smashed it in from long range. Uh, Fabregas got one, another very nice goal, and, and Malaga were 3-0 down at that point. Of course, they're into the next round of the UEFA Champions League along with Barcelona and have and many plaudits for the way they've played this season. They got one back through Diego Buenanotti's brilliant free kick, but Malaga were just thoroughly outclassed. And I think they'll be disappointed because I'm sure they were going into that game at home. They've looked at the teams they've beaten in Europe this season thinking, well, maybe we can try and at least take points off them. But it, it never looked likely. And they shot themselves in the foot with that awful back pass, which presented Messi with the opening goal. Since we were last with you, by the way, on Planet Football, Malaga have been banned from European football for a year. Uh, for financial problems, haven't they? We did cover it just about on the last programme. We weren't Christmas. sure what yeah. was going to happen, but, but they are out they, next they, season. Uh, they've got a year's ban that will run for the next four years if they don't qualify. And a 1,000 supporters walked from the city centre to the stadium in protest at that before the game, didn't they? Well, they're starting to get... They've got this online petition thing as well that's getting big-name people from Spanish football signing it to say, well, this, this shouldn't be happening. It's basically because of fees owed to clubs, to agents, to anyone, because no one really knows what's going on behind the scenes at Malaga. It's such an enigma. They did have all this money. Suddenly the owner effectively cleared off. People couldn't really find him. Malaga were left without any money to spend and having to offload players to balance the books. And uh, they have until March 31st to sort of appeal these things. Um, but I think the ban for next season is going in regardless. They won't be in Europe next season. Although I'm sure they'll keep playing for the top four and then seeing what happens at the end of the campaign because a standard defence will be, well, if we get into the Champions League, we can pay off a lot of these debts. <laughs> you know, true, so um, They're fifth at the moment. Real Betis, I think, in, up in fourth. So mm. really interesting times in Spain. Um, Malaga had a terrible record against Barcelona, didn't they? So, I mean, they might have hoped for a win, but it was uh, history wasn't on their Everyone's side. Everyone's got a terrible record I against Barcelona. I tend to ignore this stuff. I mean, I don't know about you guys. You both obviously work with stats a lot, but when you go, well, they have one there in whoa, whoa, No, 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 no. One, whoa, of us, whoa, whoa. one of us works with stats. One works with stats, my friend, not me. <laughs> Oh, I forgot you blag everything, brothers. <laughs> You've heard <laughs> no, me on the telly, haven't you? I tend to ignore this stuff. I mean, I know there was this thing about City at the weekend, not having won at Arsenal for 38 years in the league, but they won their last year in the league. I ignore all this stuff. I think it's more interesting that, you know, you've got Pellegrini as the coach, who I think did quite well from memory as Real Madrid coach against Barcelona. Um, so I found that a bit more interesting, and his Villarreal team play very nice football as well, of course. As OK, well, Atletico, so. they're second, of course. They beat Zaragoza uh, 2-0 at the weekend. Falcao scored a penalty, didn't he? And uh, Chelsea Thiago, the old Chelsea Thiago yeah, scored as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So a comfortable win for Atletico. They they keep winning. I think they, run, they haven't dropped points at home. I think it's 10 wins from 10. Um, but but they, they there's no catch in Barca, is there? I mean, 11 points yeah, now. Well, no. La Real, were, La Real were stinking again on Saturday night, weren't they? They drew nil-nil. Kaká. They were appalling. Kaká was sent off, wasn't he? Uh, and I, I think the most noted. I mean, <laughs> Did you turn it off? Yeah. I turned it off. I was that. I was that bored by it. And and because there was no real jeopardy attached to it, they're now 18 points behind Barca. You know. Mm. You know. It's, I'm off to the Bernabeu in a couple of weeks, so I'll see what the mood is like there in the flesh and and whether people are as frustrated as it seems. But now, come on. The one thing that we need to know is. Was Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford on Sunday pretending to be the evil emperor of Return of the Jedi? 
Did you see him when he had his hood what, right up? What was that up? coat about? Like, oh, I just love the way. I just seen with Hodgson. Uh, I, I, I just love the way that he was blatantly blanking Roy Hodgson when he showed him. <laughs> Roy Hodgson sat next to him, and he's like, he looked almost embarrassed, didn't he? Jose was just sat there looking absolutely fed up. I uh, should be, but I thought Wenger's coats were bad. But yeah. my word, uh, I just want to touch quickly, mate, on Deportivo La Coruña because they're 18th after going down, coming back up, and uh, Domingos Paciencia is the new coach, isn't he? he used to be at Braga, but they right. filed for bankruptcy, haven't they? They're 90 million euros in debt, uh, which is like small fee compared to what some English clubs are. But they uh, they filed for bankruptcy, and that's that's worrying because they're a great little club. Yeah, they are, and I think people, particularly from the turn of the century and that kind of thing, will remember them quite fondly for the way they were playing in La Liga and you know being up at the right end of the table. But they they really need help uh, after filing for bankruptcy. Mm. The, I think the club said last week they'd submitted documents to the courts. But this is a systemic problem in Spanish football. All those other clubs below the top two, and obviously Barcelona and Real Madrid have their debts. But they have their assets, which outweigh their, their debt. Yeah, if you're Real Madrid, clubs, you just sell your training ground that's worth it, nothing to the to exactly. the government for two hundred million or something, don't exactly. you? Exactly right. And all the other clubs are just in debt. And unlike the Premier League, where we have uh, consistent Premier League TV money in Spain, Barcelona and Real Madrid basically get all the TV money. Everyone else doesn't. Yeah. So it, it causes a problem. They want a model the the lower league, uh, lower in the table clubs like in England, but. Um, it seems they're not going to get it because Barca and Real are the big draws around the world. Rob, what's going on in France? Because PSG keep going top and then they keep mm. getting knocked off top spot. They they drew nil-nil with the Jatio on uh, on Friday night, didn't they? They were awful, yeah. I, were I, they I, as bad as Real Madrid were? No. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give PSG because they had a player sent off earlier and Thiago Motta was actually running the game against the Jaxio playing. I like Thiago Motta, me, I like uh, He's a quality player, isn't he? But he did, he did this nasty tackle and it didn't look like he was going to get a red card, but it was studs on the Achilles, which is saying it, mate, you can just imagine how painful that is. He got a, a straight red card and after that, they couldn't create. It was notably the debut for Lucas Moura, the uh, 40 million euro signing. Their the man who turned down Manchester United to join them, didn't he? Exactly, and he looked absolutely sensational. He said before the game that he was really nervous. You know, first game as a, a player, as a as a player on the continent. He has played in Europe before, but as, as a player in a European league. Um, but he didn't look daunted. And when Motta went off, I felt he then dictated the play. That he was the one who was stringing the stuff together. And to go into that team, um, I thought that was quite impressive. Zlatan was awful as well, wasn't he? Missed some absolute sitters. At one point, I think he got booed. He, he played this sort of woeful cross. And then the commentator I was listening to actually went, are they booing him? Because he's got 18 league goals. Uh, yeah. Leon are top. Uh, they won 2-1 at the weekend at Troyes, didn't they? Uh, with a player that I really like, who I now... St- I really think he's starting to fulfil his potential, Maxime Gounalon. A oh, superb player. And he can, he can sort of run the game as well. And, and Leon will be pleased that they've kept up this momentum. Initially, Jean-Michel Roulas, the president, as I think I've said on Planet Football before, saying we're going to have to sell players. It was initially we're going to have to sell three players in January, two players in January, maybe one. And I think now maybe they're looking at it and thinking, no, we'll try and keep this team together because we might be on for a title. If PSG keeps spending the money the way they are, future years it's going to be even harder than it is now. Do you know where uh, Marseille got beat again at the uh, at the weekend away at yeah, Sochaux? Sure. I watched that game, game last night. Sochaux yeah. are a bad, bad side to lose. There's three ones are horrible, and it snowy was a though, sno- it was a snowy night up on the Swiss border, but but Marseille were poor. Yeah, it looked like it from the highlights. I know Jordan 
Ayu scored their goal, but mm. that was rather fortuitous as well. Yeah. Uh, just an off day for Marseille, and and like the other teams, all three teams, four teams at the top, can just have off days. Yeah. French league's really exciting. When you look at the the gap in Spain, the gap in Germany, the gap that's developing in England, maybe France. It's going to be one of the most exciting ends for the season anyway. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Uh, let's talk about the, the boy Luke Remy, because he's going to Newcastle, of course. Matthew Debucci made his debut for, for Newcastle at the weekend. And he's the only player I've ever disagreed with Joey Barton about, because I don't really like him. But Joey Barton said he played against him and thought he was top draw. Who, Remy? Uh, no, Debucci, because obviously oh, uh, Remy played with Joey at Marseille. Um, but... And in fact, the transfer was announced by Joey. It wasn't. I think he did that just to annoy Mike Ashley, didn't he? Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I don't particularly rate Remy, and I never have. Well, he's not been getting a game this season, has he? Which is quite interesting for Marseille. He's only started a handful of games. They seem to have preferred um, the IU mm. uh, brothers playing. Uh, I think Andre plays deeper, doesn't he, uh, than his younger brother. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I mean, Remy was much coveted over here. The talk was... Big money moves to Spurs at one point, I think, wasn't it? Sort of 15 million before he, he signed uh, for Marseille. He's quick and he can get goals, but I think he's one of those players who will lose possession a bit. Confidence player. Um, I don't quite know how he fits into Newcastle's team either because I would have thought, once again, Papisi says you're out and out centre forward and, and you have wide players. I suppose Remy can play wide, but who knows? Rob, I want to move on because quickly I want to touch on Italy. Uh, and we are running out of time for, for, for this part of the show. We've got to go and uh, get some adverts and some travel and that. Uh, Juventus still top, but drew at the weekend, didn't they? So Lazio have closed the gap. Really interesting, this, what's happening with Lazio. I mean, the other teams are sort of struggling to keep pace, Napoli in and around there. But Lazio getting results. They beat Atalanta 2-0. Miroslav Closer still leads the line for them. So they're three points behind Juve. There's a big... Goal difference gap between Juventus and, and Lazio. It's still going to be interesting to see how this Fernando Llorente thing pans out. Mm. Athletic mm. Bilbao said at the start of the transfer window that Juve had approached Llorente and his contract expires at the end of the season. Is it going to be a now deal, a January deal, with Bilbao getting some cash, or is it going to be later in a free? Um, and, and if they sign him you know, a proper number nine, then I'd, I'd, I'd see the title going to Juve. They won in the Coppa Italia, didn't they, last week? But they've drawn and lost since they returned from the winter break. So, you know, there's a little bit of pressure on Juve now. Yeah, the, the, the return of Antonio Conte to the dugout hasn't quite settled things down as much as people thought they would. Obviously, they went unbeaten last season, as yeah. we've mentioned many times. Uh, but they've been a bit rocky this season and other teams are getting a let in. You know, 15 points drop to this stage of the season. Yeah. Um, uncomparable with the, the form they showed last season listen you have a good week pal great to talk to you as ever daily into Europe here on Planet Football Rob have a great week pal cheers gents thank you that's Rob Daly as ever joining us with his European football roundup on the way on Planet Football we're going to have a little look at the big game in Portugal which took place on Sunday night Benfica and Porto oh Clásico and also we're going to speak about tackling and talk about the Premier League with someone who knows it inside out, someone who's made a bad tackle or two down the years, Alan Smith. And we'll also clear up what happened with that ambulance outside Anfield that time. That's all to come on Planet Football. Premier League, European and international. Planet Football, City Talk 105.9. 
Welcome back to Planet Football here on City Talk 105.9. Normally we'll do the news or Statman John will throw a few stats at us, but I wanted to uh, basically start this section of the show with our special guest tonight. Uh, he's someone I've known for a long, long time, worked with him for a long, long time, been friends with him for a long, long time. Scored his first ever goal with just about his first ever touch in league football at Anfield and was involved in what was a controversial incident outside Anfield after he broke his leg there. Good evening, Alan Smith, now of MK Dons. How are you doing, fella? I'm good, mate. Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really good, mate. I'm really good. Can you please clear up once and for all <laughs> and put it to bed what happened to the ambulance when you were on your way to hospital after breaking your leg in that FA Cup tie at Anfield? Uh, I think I've, I've been through this on a number of occasions um, and it never seems to have properly been eradicated from people is what actually did happen um, I said I've spoke to you about it a lot of times you actually came to hospital after on night at event um, and as I say from as far as I remember there was no hostility from Liverpool there were no rocking of an ambulance or throwing objects at an ambulance and I believe first interview that I did when I came back into football after my, my long layoff was to try and make that point very clear. Um, and actually, my first appearance back at Anfield, um, surprisingly enough, um, I got a great reception because I think they are lovers of football. Um, and as I said, regardless of which club you play for, I think as a knowledgeable football crowd, um, they appreciate they appreciated me as a player um, and appreciated that what I'd been through injury-wise and, as I say, my honesty towards them during that incident. Uh, I know you're always, you, you, you'll always be indebted as well to, to Mark Waller and the medical guys at Anfield for the work that day, won't you? Yeah, definitely. The medical care and the attention that I got. And as I say, the support that I got from, from Liverpool fans once they knew that the injury was as serious as it, as it turned out to be. Um, I think everyone's opinions and as I say, everyone looking on their opinions soon changed when they realised that I was in trouble. As I say, I'll be I'll be forever in, indebted to the people who managed to save my career that day at Anfield. You, your life has always been linked to Merseyside. Obviously, you scored your, your first goal at Anfield. <laughs> you, you broke your leg at Anfield. Just how close were you, though, to joining Everton? Because I remember every transfer window, you were signing for Everton. Yeah, that seemed to be always the, the story that we're going about, whether it was when... As I say, when I left Leeds to go to New, uh, sorry, to go to Manchester United, there were links with Everton then. And funnily enough, the team that that I almost joined was Liverpool. They'd lost the manager just at the time, or they were trying to appoint a new manager just at the time. That's the time that Gerard Houllier left and Rafa came in, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. and I spoke to Liverpool in length about joining them, but as I say, unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't have a manager in place, um, and that's why no talks actually came to fruition and as you said then that every time there was a transfer window I was always linked with Everton I think that's because how David Moyes' teams play the attitude that that his teams have um, probably would have suited me down to the ground and I think that's where the the connection with with Everton and with Merseyside came from Right Al because I know obviously now you, you're still playing you're still working hard in the game at MK Dons you've got a big game tonight against Sheffield Wednesday the FA Cup replay haven't you? Yeah it'll be um It'll be an interesting game, obviously. Well, the first leg was 
a bit of a non-event, really. I was uh, there, mate. I know all about it. <laughs> we Both teams barely had a shot on goal, and it was, I'd say, it was difficult, I think, for both teams. It were in the middle of a, well, just after a busy schedule, obviously, in, in league football. Both teams trying in their own leagues to, obviously, Sheffield Wednesday's main aim is to survive in championship, and for us is to try and get automatic promotion and get into the playoffs. And I think that it was a game that both teams could have done without and it probably looked like that from the sideline watching. But I'd say FA Cup to to everyone's still a massive competition and could be an old-fashioned cup tie if weather stays as it is. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, the, the weather down there has not been great, has it? But uh, it, you were the better side in the first game, weren't you? Yeah, we were a better team without really looking threatening, to be honest. I think that for ourselves, we know what we'll have to deal with. Um, Sheffield Wednesday played really well against Hull on Saturday and they're a very physical team uh, threat from set pieces and I say it's sometimes easier to go and play away because emphasis is on home side to come out and open up a little bit and we know we're going to be in for a difficult night playing against a, a say, strong and physical Sheffield Wednesday team Right, obviously Al you have not been averse to uh, a red card down the years yeah. uh, tackling has now basically gone out of the window we watched Arsenal versus Man City. Never, yeah. ever, ever in this world is companies a red card. Obviously, Koscielny's is. Now, first off, I want you to listen to Roberto Mancini. This is what he said um, after the game, because I know he was uh, absolutely raging with it. But this is Roberto Mancini's reaction to the company red card, but first to Koscielny's red card. The penalty uh, sending off was correct. Uh... Because it was the last man, uh, we had the chance to score. The referee was there. was not correct, the red card for company, because he went in tackle and he anticipate uh, wish with only one feet. Uh, there do seem to be a lot of sendings off for tackles similar to that, though. What, what's yes, wrong? Was... Is the rule wrong? Or are the, is the no, 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 no. Probably the interpretation. But to, today uh, was different from last year. Because today went with only one feet, anticipate uh, wish. But also last year was not sending off for me. But today was different. Has tackling now gone from the game of football? I, well, I'd definitely say yeah, but that's my opinion. I think the difficulty for anyone now is that the interpretation from the referee is exactly as he sees it and how he calls it. I don't think that there is actually a rule or a definite rule down in laws at game, which says this is a red card, this isn't a red card. The only one that is, is proven is if he's clean through on goal and he gets brought down, then he gets sent off. That's, that's what. Yeah, that's what happened to James proven. Milner earlier in the season, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it won't really it won't a malicious tackle, but because he's denied a goal scoring opportunity, it's a red card. Yeah. Whereas I remember when I was at Newcastle, still Howard Webb came to do a talk with players to see, to just to speak to us to tell us rules in terms of what they saw it as. And they say, if you leave ground and you're out of control, then that can be seen as a red card. Now, company was never out of control. And he was protecting himself, wasn't he? Because Wilshire was running like a bull in a china shop, wasn't he? Do you, do you think that was a red card, by the way? I don't think it's a red, no. Because, as you say, I think company was totally in control of what he would do. I don't think he would ever out of control. And I think that is the is the big sticking point. But it's an interpretation by referee 
did he think you're in control? Did he think you're out of it? And that's I'd say I don't think there's a I don't think there's a definite rule, and I think that's the problem. I want to talk about your old team, uh, one of them now, Manchester yeah. United, because on Sunday, obviously, when they played Liverpool, yeah. I've never seen them get that deep as they did in the second half. But the seven, yeah. you know, the seven points clear, but they look so fragile. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I think sometimes when when you know the game is of so much importance that you can become a little tentative and you can be holding on. And as I said, I thought, full credit to Liverpool second half, Brendan Rodgers changed his own philosophy in a little way. Second half, when you're 2-0 down, Liverpool obviously had they had no to lose. They brought Sturridge on and went more attacking and really caused a lot of problems. And I think that you do play a lot freer when you are losing a game. You've got nothing else to lose. You throw bodies forward, which you might not have done. Glenn Johnson were, spent a lot of his time yesterday in attacking third at field, in second half especially. Mm. And I'd say full credit to Liverpool, they came out of goal, but they're the resilience of Man United. I think I saw, I heard a stat yesterday, they've not ever lost an home game when they've been leading at half-time since 1986. <laughs> Wow. I don't I don't know if that's true. No, but it is true. The drawn, man John will know. Uh I think it's twenty two games, one twenty drawn two. Is that when they were what, two nil up? Mm. Right. Um I think that's that's what I read anyway. Um I've got a um a stat that we uh, me and John were talking about over the weekend, uh and it's uh, it surprised the pair of us. Ashley Young. Yep. He's actually now playing more or less every game, starting every game in the league. He um, he didn't start the season very well. Uh, it was sort of the ninth game before he got his place, yeah. uh, partly through injury. But he is not playing in Europe and he is not playing in cup ties. He's played 17 minutes out of a possible 840 in the Champions League and the, um, in, and the Cups. And yeah. yet he's starting every game. And... It's a mystery to the pair of us to see quite. It's a mystery to you. I don't really care. No, <laughs> you've 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 worked with Sir Alex. It's not the first time his choices aren't that obvious. I think that a lot of time it just depends. I, well, I've seen it firsthand in terms of international football. When I played for England, it never ever suited me. To be honest, John, and I don't know why but it never did. I never really felt comfortable playing international football. I don't know whether it's the pace at game. I don't know what it was, but playing in Europe would always my would always time I always did best. I couldn't fathom it out from, well, from my own personal experiences, why Champions League and Europa League or UEFA Cup as it was then, I had my best performances in them competitions, but then international level, I always struggled, and I, I don't, I don't quite know where the difference should be in international football compared with European competition. No, you wouldn't think there would be that much difference there, would you? No, you'd think it'd be the same style. Mm. Um, obviously, playing against similar opposition, standard-wise, you'd expect the best player to be playing in Champions League. And as I say, I've always, I've always looked at, looked at it and wondered why. Well, from a personal point of view, why that were the case. Al, if you were uh, if you were the England captain or the England manager and you had yep. to pick the three best players in the world, who would you have gone for? I'm probably I'm probably different from everyone else. I look at 
things a lot different. If you're looking for performance levels in Europe and in international competition, I'd say best player were Andrea Pirlo. Yeah. For large spells, he left AC Milan and everyone thought that's end of him. Uh, went to Juventus and they went on an unbeaten run for all season and he was probably their best player. And then for Italy again in summer, he was their best player. So I'd look at him. I think Messi's obviously the best. And then I'd say Cristiano, you look and to see what he won last year, um, Real Madrid actually did win league. Yeah. And I found it strange that Guardiola were named manager at year last year. Sorry, yeah, we were named best manager and Barcelona didn't win anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found it strange because, like you say, Real Madrid won league. Um, Chelsea won Champions League. And Barcelona, arguably, everyone says that best team in the world, but and Guardiola best friends the trophy, and that's what surprised me. Rather than the the selection for players, and you know I'm biased, but Ibrahimovic is my favourite player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just been looking down the list of uh, who's been picking the top threes and stuff. You know, for for the Ballon d'Or last week. Yeah. And the the coach of Thailand is uh, Winfred Schaefer. And he picked he picked Sergio Busquets as his player of the year, as the best player in world football. And didn't have Messi in the top three. No, no, there's quite a few that didn't have Messi in the top three. Uh, Yogi Loeb didn't have uh, Messi in the top three. The coach of Germany, but he did have uh, Ozil uh, and Neuer from his own country. It's a game of opinions, John. You well, know that. That's the great thing, isn't it? But but as someone said, someone someone said to me over Christmas. I pay my electric bill. That doesn't give me a right to come round to your house and tell you how to rewire it. So you shouldn't have an opinion on football. He was a professional footballer. I will state that to him. <laughs> it's true, but that's what makes it so good because everyone's opinion's different. And end of day, there's there's hundreds of players who people like and don't like, and then you put them on their own team and they love them. And that's just that's just how it is. I think that, as I say, it's not necessarily. In my opinion, who is the actually the best player, and we all know just picking best players don't mean it'll be the best team. And I say you've got to have people doing right jobs and making right decisions for you as well. True, right? Listen, thanks for joining us, pal. Cheers, mate. No worries. Good luck tonight against Sheffield Wednesday. Who've you got in the third well, round if you get through? Fourth round, even. We've got uh, West Brom or QPR. Decent uh, little game for you, that isn't it? Tonight as well, so. We'll see how they get on. Good luck, pal. Thanks a lot for joining us on Planet Football as well. That is Alan Smith now of the MK Dons, and it was good to clear up that about what happened at Anfield that fateful February day some, what, five five years ago? Six years ago now, isn't it? I think just about six years next month, isn't it? Right, on the way, we're going to uh, feature El Clasico, the game between Porto and Benfica. That's next on Planet Football. This is City Talk 105.9. Planet Football, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to the final part of Planet Football this Tuesday evening right here on City Talk 105.9. Statman John, what else do we know from the world of football today? Well, uh... This week sees the starts of the African Cup of Nations or the African Nations Cup. Is it not the Cup of African Nations? It could be anything. I you think want. it's the Cup of African Nations. I, I, it's certainly not the African Nations Cup, which it, has been called over here for years. It's irrelevant. Carry on. 
it's uh, on ITV4 this time. Uh, the BBC have had it uh, recently. It's on Eurosport as well. Right. So um, we can watch it. So it's in South Africa. It was supposed to be in Libya, but obviously uh, <laughs> events there precluded that. And to be fair, South Africa does have the infrastructure of stadiums to host it, doesn't it, after the uh, World well, Cup? Well, they haven't been used since the World Cup, so they're nice and fresh. Um, we've got South Africa, Ghana, Mali... Uh, Zambia, Nigeria, Tunisia, uh, the Ivory Coast trying again not to win it, uh, Morocco. The Ivory Coast do a pretty good job of that as well, don't they? They certainly do. It uh, amused Mr Rooney last season that they didn't um, they didn't manage it. Um, uh, Angola, Nigeria, Togo, uh, with Adebayor returning after a presidential decree. Um, but he played for Spurs at the weekend, didn't he? Well, that's because the uh, the squad he wasn't in the squad. Oh right, is that is that what happened? So he's, he's, he's since the weekend he's been called. Up. It wasn't quite. It was sort of uh, I think before the weekend. But right. basically, the president intervened and pleaded with him, and that was all it took to get him to go. So um, that's what happened there. Obviously, the last you know, obviously Togo and what happened previously when you know the shooting incidents and stuff that would have had a major influence as well. But you know. I, I think we have to be very careful here. He's he's an interesting character, isn't he? Listen, you're a Manchester City fan. You're bound to say that. No, I'm, I'm, I think he's a great player, and I, I, th- I think it's good for the it's good for the competition he's going. Do you for... like Emmanuel Adebayor? Yes, I do. Do you like what? And As you a don't... player. Okay. As a player. All right, fair enough. Uh, right, um, Burkina Faso, uh, Algeria. Um, Ethiopia are in it for the first time in 31 years and uh, the Cape Verde Islands are in it for the first time and they start the tournament off against uh, South Africa on On Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Um, Can I ask you a question? Right, they moved it from Libya to South Africa, right? Mm. Why aren't Libya in it then? Uh, Because if they were the initial hosts... Good question. Surely they should be in it. Why is it not in Nigeria who were the only other team, uh, only other country in competition competition for this actual event right <laughs> so um there you go um it's interesting there are a lot more um players involved from england we've got 18 involved right. stretching from uh, peterborough bristol city oldham um and now we are the second most represented country outside of uh france well we're, we're, we're next yeah, yeah. after france uh france 54 um england 18 and so we're ahead of Portugal. Well, I was going to say that because I know there's a lot of teams in, in Portugal that will be missing players for the Cup of African Nations. Uh, and Portugal is somewhere that uh, I do want to talk about because we do have our very own Portuguese expert. Ben Shave, good evening to you. Hi, Jen. How you doing? Yeah, really good, good pal. Really good. Uh, I want to talk about, obviously, the big game last night. But in terms of players departing for the African Nations this weekend, who will be affected the most? Well, I think yeah, we already saw last night one team that had been affected by it, which was uh, FC Porto. They were missing their young uh, Ghanaian winger, uh, Christian Atsu. Um, he's been a fairly bit part player this season, but what he has got is really, really devastating pace. And they, they could have used a bit of that against Benfica last night. Um, other teams that are affected are Gimarange. Both of their first choice centre-backs will be gone. Uh, Academicas. Uh, holding midfielder is also missing. So, yeah, there's a, 
there's a fair few league of teams that are going to be a bit a bit short this January because of the Cup of Nations. I love people who can say team names correctly, and I know that it's your country <laughs> and, and where you do. But I get so sometimes when you hear Guimaraes or something like that. Oh, you, there's, there's there's a whole load of possibilities in that one. How do, how annoying does it get for you, by the way, when you hear the pronunciation of, of play? Because I was fully expecting the new West Brom man Daniel Carico to play this weekend, but Carico, to be, yeah, yeah, Carico or Carico or something. But to be fair. Everyone just about got it right, didn't they? They did. I, I think, to be honest, the, the accent over that C is so obvious that you, uh, you, you have to see it and think, oh, I wonder if that's pronounced differently, <laughs> rather than just skirting over it altogether. But that, that, see, a lot of people don't know that a lot of people in England call Martin Skirtle, Martin, Martin, but his name is actually Skirtle, because the accent is over the S, which turns it into an SH anyway. I'm just going off onto another planet there. Um it was the big game last night. We've been waiting for it uh, all season, really, the Porto-Benfica game. And obviously both sides went into it on, on great runs and uh, they couldn't be separated. No, absolutely. And as you said, you know, they've, they've, neither of them have lost a, lost a game in the league this season. They're, they're the best two teams in the division this season by a real considerable distance. I think they've really separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And I think, you know, given that, it's probably only appropriate that this first <laughs> Classico was a draw and we'll, uh, we're, we're going down to the penultimate game of the season in May. The, the funny thing was about it, Ben, is that we, we settled down, we sat down to watch it. And it is a shame that, that basically Portuguese football isn't getting the same sort of exposure that, that, that we get uh, of the other leagues because it is a decent league to watch and they are two decent sides. But by the time we sat down to watch the game last night, if you if you know if you if you weren't watching it for twenty minutes, you missed it, didn't you? Well, if you yeah, exactly. If you were late to the party, they would have run out of all the all the good stuff, so to speak. Um, yeah, four goals in the opening seventeen minutes, uh, from the eighth minute to the seventeenth minute. Um, yeah, it was it was absolute chaos. And then after that, it was all uh, it was a bit more of a, a typical meeting between two big sides, quite cagey, quite scrappy, fairly bad tempered. We've seen we've seen some brilliant. Uh, histrionics between those sides in recent years as well. I remember when they turned the sprinklers on, didn't they? That was last season, wasn't it? When they were it was the, yeah, the, the Andre Village Boas title-winning season for Porto. Yeah. They, they they wrapped up the Liga at the Luge, and then uh, yeah, Benfica turned out the lights <laughs> and turned on the sprinklers. Who is the better side of the two, Ben? Uh, this season, I think. Well, it, it depends what you define by better. I think mm. Benfica are capable of playing the more expressive, more dynamic attacking football. But you, you look at Porto, especially in the midfield, and they are so solid, so so, so difficult to play through them. Um, I think they're probably more effective. Benfica may be capable of uh, more spectacular moments. Yeah, because I saw Benfica in Moscow and they were poor. But then yeah. I saw the game uh, at the Luz and, and they, were, they were excellent that night. And, and it does seem to be that they have those special individuals who, when they're on it, who are a little more temperamental than perhaps those at Porto, um, just seem to be able to change a game. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're spot on there. I think you know what Porto maybe didn't have last night was sort of the, the individual mm. talent of a player like Gaetan or even Matic. You know, technically a superb footballer, but what they do have uh, is players like Fernando in the midfield, Alexandro left yeah. back, João Moutinho, obviously. Who are you know they they've got their own creative 
uh, instincts, but they are far more consistent. That, that's the, the name of the game for Porto, consistency. Do you know? Do you know the funny thing is, is I I saw, I saw Matic and I've watched him closely, and obviously when he went over there, and I, and I saw him play against Zenit uh, in the Champions League last year when I was over there, and I was thinking, mm, not really having you, but he does really seem to have grown into himself now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just been confirmed in the last sort of half an hour, actually, that Benfica have given him a, a new contract uh, with a with a much bigger release clause. It's gone up to forty five million euros, and that, that's really a kind of a reflection of just how, how much more valuable he's become to them this season. Because obviously they, they sold having Garcia to Manchester City, and there was actually quite a lot of concern amongst Benfica fans mm. that it was Matic coming coming in to replace him. But no, as you say, he's been. Superb, you know, not the quickest, but technically he's brilliant, and he does actually cover a lot more ground than Garcia. He's, you know, capable of going from box to box and being effective at both ends of the pitch, which I think is quite rare in the central midfielder these days. For those who don't know, they took him from Chelsea as part of the the David Luiz deal, didn't That's they? Right, yeah. And what a yeah. fantastic bit of business that looks now. Well, yeah, 20, 23 million plus Matic, and David Luiz goes the other way. I think, uh, yeah, Benfica might have got a better end of that. That's very, very true. Um, it, We've seen uh, Benfica at, L- at Liverpool a couple of years ago, and that was when, of course, Luis was there, Di Maria was still there, and they were a, a quality outfit. Uh, I've seen Porto a lot over the last couple of seasons in the Champions League uh, uh, and in the Portuguese League as well. But is the standard in Portugal slipping a little? I mean, we can say the same in England as well, but have you noticed a little dip in the standard? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate, actually. You know, if we had been speaking this time last year, we could have said that it was on the up because, you know, they had the, the three Champions League places now and you had uh, all, you know, four sides doing pretty well in Europe. Not, you know, to the level of people, what people would expect in England, but nevertheless doing well. Whereas now, I think you're seeing a real sort of hegemony uh, between Porto and Benfica growing up. You know, Braga are in a bit of a transition this season and obviously uh, Sporting, uh, have really, really slipped over the last couple of years. They're uh, not not the force they once were. Well, I watched Sporting play Liverpool in the next gen uh, last season, and that was as good a youth setup uh, uh, as I've seen in recent seasons. That was just a wonderful team, and we know obviously the players that that, that Sporting um, youth system has produced in recent years. But first team wise, they're just terrible, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's actually been a real sort of dichotomy at Sporting the last couple of seasons because they. They, they had a, had club elections and the new president sort of took a conscious decision to uh, move away from Portuguese uh, talent in in the hope that they could you know try and win some trophies. Uh, so meanwhile, the youth system has still been producing excellent players, but they've not really been able to get into the first team. Uh, they spent a lot of money and they made a loss of 45 million euros on last season, which was mainly down to player uh, purchases. Um, hasn't paid off for them. They didn't get the Champions League and they're having a wretched time of it this season. They're already on their fourth coach. I was going to say, uh, I think there's only Blackburn Rovers in Europe that have had more, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, obviously, Frankie Vercauteren came in, didn't he? A good, great player from the past, but it just de- it never seemed destined to work out for him. No, I, I think, you know, he wasn't really given that much time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you could see the writing on the wall for him, really, when they brought in uh, the veteran, Josualdo uh, Ferreira, as their uh, general manager, as they put it, and you know, didn't really take a genius to see what was being cooked up there. And in, in the end, it only took uh, as well, though, 19 days from uh, coming in to replacing the Catherine. And obviously, we, 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 we've got the Portugal national side, which is still an outstanding team. I know they, they, they had the setback over in Russia in a game that 
that they, that they they weren't great in, uh, but they still probably deserved the result out of it. But you know, that is there a seed of change going through the national side now? Um, I mean, I've I know Nelson Oliveira's not at Benfica at the minute, but I mean, when I saw him last season, I thought you're the future up front for Portugal. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know they they are they are slowly bringing some players through. You've obviously got Nelson up front, and I think what we'll see over the next couple of seasons is that when the likes of Bruno Alves and Pep start to age, you might see a few more uh, youthful centre backs coming through as well. I'm thinking particularly of a player like Luis Neto, who's currently at Siena having a really good season. Lots of big sides interested in him. Um, Paulo Bento, the national uh, team coach, isn't really known for his. Uh, uh, his, his, his love of uh, chopping and changing, but I think you know, ageing of uh, some of these top players will will necessitate that eventually. We also saw um, Raul Morales' um, recent ban. How did that go down in Portugal when he got his twelve matches? I know it's been reduced to four now. Yeah, well, I mean, it obviously got pretty much blanket coverage when when the news broke. Um, Morel is just, it's an interesting character because obviously he's so closely associated with Porto. So there was a fairly significant yeah. section of the of the supporters that were perfectly happy <laughs> to see this happening to them. Um, but he, you know, he one of the first things he did was give a give an interview to the sort of Lusa, which is kind of like the the national news agency over there. Um, and I think he he really kind of tried to drive the story in a quite a clever way, actually. Um, but there was sort of you know, widespread. Uh, sympathy for him, really, because it, it, you know, I mean, even though uh, the case wasn't particularly clear cut either way, um, you never want to see that happening to one of your sort of national players. So the the big question is, Ben, to wrap up with, when will Benfica and Porto finally lose? <laughs> well, I don't know. The, the, the next time a bit of European football comes around, perhaps, <laughs> or, or maybe, maybe the next time they play each other, someone's got to lose. It's going to be interesting. Who will win the title? That's the question that to put you on the spot. Yeah, it's a difficult one. You're giving me that. I think I'm going to have to go with Porto because um, I think they, they were missing James Rodriguez last yeah, night. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they came pretty close to beating Benfica anyway. So I think with, with the second game to come at the Dragao, uh, with James to come back, providing his fit, I think, I think Porto might just edge it again. Ben, that's been a brilliant insight into life in Portugal and Portuguese football. Uh, really thank you for coming on Planet Football tonight. It's been uh, it's been brilliant to uh, hear about what's going on out there. Real good insight. Thanks a lot for joining us. Okay, mate. No problem. Anytime. Top man, that's Ben Shave joining us live on the phone to talk life and football in Portugal. This has been Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. We'll be back with you, same bat time, same bat channel, next Tuesday, won't we, Statman John? Yes, we will. Good night to you. Thanks for being with us. Premier League, European and International Planet Football, City Talk 105.9.